people all over this country are wondering whether or not this great country is evolving into an oligarchic society. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that combines military, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. The structure of financial controls created by the tycoons of big banking and big business was of extraordinary complexity. They could influence the economic life of the country to a large degree and could almost control its political life. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. No secret is revealed. Welcome to the show. Would you like to hear a podcast? Hello, and welcome to another episode of Our Foundations. My name is Joshua, and I will be your host as we go into this interview with Pete Quinones of the Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast, among other things. So what I would like to do to start off with is to have you, Pete, introduce yourself and what you're involved with, what you produce, the type of content that you do, as well as any other projects that you might be working on. Well, my name is Peter, uh, middle initial R, last name Quinones. I am the host of the Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast. I am also the managing editor of libertarianinstitute.org. That's a website started by the great foreign policy expert Scott Horton, along with Sheldon Richmond, who has been writing articles pertaining to liberty for over 40 years. Um, I'm also producing in the... <laughs> actually in the deep into the production of a full feature-length documentary called The Monopoly on Violence, which will present the history of the nation-state, uh, where it came from, what it's done, why it's failed us, and a better option or better options. And um, my podcast is mostly trying to influence people's minds towards liberty towards individual individuality uh, away from fear uh, fear is what draws people into collectivism and puts chains on you and handcuffs you but my goal is to help you to understand that if you don't have individual liberty you don't have liberty at all there's no liberty in collectivism you're just at the will of the group the crowd and the majority so yeah, that's what I do. And um, I talk a lot about just the state, the police, um, government, mostly everything the government does, everything that's publicly funded, everything that's a monopoly, which is anything the government does, they turn it into a monopoly. And um, yeah, and that's <laughs> that's been my goal for I've been doing this for about two and a half years now. And uh, my goal is just to break people out of that cage and um, to really help those fearful scales fall from their eyes. Okay. Yeah, definitely. That's definitely something that corresponds well with uh, what I'm doing with my show as well, trying to enlighten people and educate people and show things that are maybe a little behind the scenes that people might not be aware of and see things like government and corporations through a different lens, I would say a more accurate lens personally, but everyone has their own opinions. So what exactly brought you into 
I guess, taking all the time that it does take, I know it takes a lot of time to do these things like a documentary and the podcast and your associations with the Libertarian Institute, what really drives you to get into it? Or was there an event or is there a certain aspect of society that you really are drawn to? What what drives you and motivates you? I, I was fairly um, apolitical before 9-11, after 9-11. I became political. I, but I started really trying to look at things. I didn't discover websites like antiwar.com until much later. But I knew the invasion in Afghanistan right from the start was not right um, because the hijackers were all from Saudi. And no matter what they, you know, what the narrative was of, oh, well, they're all over there, you know, they're all in Afghanistan. It's like, I will go in and kill them. You know, and they had, you know, if you read Scott Horton's book, Fool's Errand, you'll find out that the Taliban was willing to give up um, Al Qaeda, including Osama bin Laden. But the United States said no. Um, you know, they they weren't going to like hand them directly to the United States, but they would hand them to a third state, a third party state. And the United States said no. And, you know, they were just looking for an excuse to get into a war. I know that now. Iraq, Iraq, I knew was wrong, but I still had that thing in my mind of if I don't support the war, I'm not supporting the troops. And I wanted to support the troops because, you know, they're heroes. But um, in 2007, I was watching a Republican debate and, you know, foreign policy was really important to me at the time. And I heard Ron Paul say they're not mad at us because we're free. They're mad at us because we're over there blowing things up. And I was like, oh, <laughs> why couldn't I figure this out six years ago? And that just sent me, you know, down down a hole reading reading a Ron Paul book that I was able to source at the time and finding out about the Mises Institute in the back of the book and then reading about economics, reading about um, history, reading about uh, libertarian theory, theory, theory of liberty. And, um, you know, ten, well, I guess 13 years later, uh, here I am, I, a couple, two and a half years ago, I was trying to figure out what I could do to contribute to the thought, the ideas of liberty. So I came up with the idea for a podcast and just started by talking myself and really just trying to lay out what I thought it should look like in like, you know, short 15 minute episodes. And then I got the idea to start interviewing people. And I was really shocked that, you know, that people from people I just knew from social media up to people like Ron Paul were willing to talk and would come on and um, do interviews. And so I've been working on that ever since. About um, six months ago, I've known Scott Horton for a while now. I've been posting on the Libertarian Institute for, you know, over a year and putting my episodes up on there for almost a year and a half. And back in July, he said, you know, we really haven't had a managing editor since Will, the great Will Gregg died. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Great man. The best, the best libertarian writer and the best libertarian podcaster I've ever heard. He was just absolutely <laughs> spectacular at what he did. And, um, you know, so I said yes. And from there, it's just um, a wild ride. And uh, over a year, year, over a year ago, I was approached by some libertarian ANCAPs in the Atlanta area and said, you want to put together a documentary about all this? And I'm like, you know, 
you know, want to lay it out, you know, the history of governments and how we could do it, how it could be better, you know, and without them. And I was like, yeah, let's do this. And yeah, you know, we interviewed and we did over 30 interviews for it. And right now we're piecing everything together. And, um, I'm, I don't come from a film background, but one of my co-producers does. And he says we, he thinks we can have it out by the middle of April. So, um, you know, a lot of people are looking forward to that. A lot of people donated to the project. And, um, you know, our goal is to put something out that when people say, okay, so what do you believe? And they can go here, watch this. It's an hour and 45 minutes long, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah. So that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm trying to do <laughs> with, uh, with everything that I have going on is just trying to spread the message of Liberty. I mean, maybe we can talk a little bit more about that, it, but, um, yeah, it's just it, people who look around and think they have Liberty because they can buy a house, but they never ask about property taxes, why they pay property tax even after it's paid off or why you have to buy it with their money. <laughs> and yep. you know, you know, they don't ask these guys, Oh, well I own it because when I sell it, I, um, when I sell it, I, I, I get paid for it. I'm like, yeah, you get taxed for it too. And also you can't sell it for what you want to say. You don't want to use their money. Say you think it's worthless. I mean, I guess you could set it up to sell it for Bitcoin or something like that. But you know, people really aren't, a lot of people aren't ready to do that. So you'd have to find somebody who was on your wavelength like that. So yeah, it's, um, people aren't asking these questions and I call them free range surfs. Yeah. You know, they can, you know, they can climb on a plane and they can fly places and everything. But when it comes right down to it, if they're walking down the street and a cop says stop, even if they know they've done nothing wrong, they're in the middle of a hostage situation where if they don't do everything that police officer says, the officer can kill him and is going to get a medal and is going to get a promotion because they're a hero, because you don't want to be controlled because of fear. Because you think that that cop has, you think that that cop should be able to do that because you're scared of other people and you don't know how to take care of yourself. You know, I, I would never call the cops. Someone broke into the house. I'm prepared for that. I'm not going to call, I'm not going to call them until that person's dead. And then I'm still going to be scared if they show up and think I'm the bad guy. Which could happen. <laughs> and which happens every single day. Lock up your dog first. Yeah. Yeah. Put your dog in the closet. <laughs> lock the closet and hope that that guy doesn't show up and think you're the bad guy. I mean, that happens every single day. I mean, it's people just really, I'm trying to wake people up you know, and I say all the time, it sounds so cliche, but people just got to wake up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in total agreement with you on that. Um, you did reference that we are free range surfs and I like that analogy. So going off of that, um, most of this interview here will be paralleling some aspects of history with some modern aspects in our society today. And so to begin with, I do want to ask you, what do you feel like are the benefits that we can get by looking at historical periods that are similar to modern issues and modern movements? And with that, not only what can we get out of that and how can that educate us and further our understanding of what's going on, but also what can be maybe the limitations of that. And if you have any examples of specific periods or events or people or anything that have helped you as you have built up your education in better understanding something that's more current. Well, 
I hate the phrase that history repeats itself because repeat is it's such a loaded word. Uh, it doesn't repeat itself, but it does recycle. Um, for every issue happening right now that the that the corporate press manipulates people into thinking is more important than you know their individual liberty. Um, there's an example, if not exact, that you can that you can find in the past. Like um, if you were to compare, like look at the Iraqs. Okay, the two Iraq wars. You had Iraq War One, which was 1991, and Iraq War Two, which was 2003. The first, what most people don't remember about that first Iraq War was how it was sold. The <laughs> Apparently, the whole story was that Iraq was invading Kuwait, which the United, which most people don't know, the United States government told them they could do. Yep. And then they reneged on it. Then the U.S. reneged on it. But when the United States government decided that they wanted to invade Iraq to, you know, stop this, to stop Saddam from doing it, there was a testimony in front of Congress by a young girl named Naraya. And oh, actually, it was Nayaira. N-A-Y-I-R-A-H. And she claimed to be a Kuwaiti nurse who witnessed Iraqi soldiers going into Kuwait, which they satellite footage proves they weren't even in Kuwait at the time. Oh. And they, they were going into um, hospitals and taking babies out of incubators and throwing them on the floor. Wow. So this was blasted everywhere, and people just got outraged, and they said, yeah, we really need to do something about this guy, this Saddam guy, who people don't realize just five years earlier was getting chemical weapons from the United States. So they used that as an excuse to go into war to rile people up. Well, fast forward 12 years. What did they use to, to get people to go into Iraq, uh, into Iraq a second time for Iraq War II? WMDs in Iraq. And then when they went in there and they didn't find anything, then it changed into we're bringing democracy. You know, I mean, so and people were like and people bought into that. It was like, oh, OK, so there's no weapons in there. OK, now we, we just need to bring democracy to these people all the while, all the while not realizing that they were overthrowing a Sunni government, which is Sunnis are the people that 9-11, <laughs> the ones who did 9-11. So they're overthrowing that government to empower the Shia who that's what Iran is predominantly and they're empowering by overthrowing Saddam who didn't have anything to do with 9/11 who was just had stopped selling oil for for US dollars was selling them in euros there's plenty of plenty of uh you can research that on the internet so they they overthrow a Sunni and have a Shia come in and then Saudi Arabia who's Sunni and they have this in the WikiLeaks calls Rumsfeld in there to say, what the heck is going on over there? You guys just empowered Iran in Iraq. And what are we seeing today? What did we just see in the, this week? We see that dissidents or people are trying to break into the American embassy in Iraq and they're blame and, and they're all they're carrying Hezbollah flags, which are Shia Iran backed. So it's like, this just this total insanity of getting the United States getting into these wars and um, just, <laughs> you know, so all of these falsehoods, 12, you know, 12 years apart, but you can see it over and over again. 
You can even see it if you go back to um, the Vietnam War. Ah, yes, Gulf of Tonkin. The Gulf of Tonkin, who, which it was an incident where they were supposed to attack the ship, American ship, didn't happen, never happened, came out, came out decades later. People were saying at the time it didn't happen. It's just over and over again. Whenever I hear, so, you know, that I know this now, how they try to manipulate, especially how the press tries to manipulate it. You know, even you even see when it comes time for war, the left-wing press. I mean, what happened um, two, two, three months into Donald Trump's presidency? They hated him from the start. They're trying to find dirt on him for, on Inauguration Day. Inauguration Day, they're talking about impeaching him. They hate this guy. Three months later, he sends 59 missiles at Syria. And they're talking about how that was the day he became presidential. That's the, that's the left. So it's no different than the right. And it's the press who's doing that. Just manipulating, manipulating. And what did we just find out in the last couple of weeks? That all of the supposed chemical attacks in Syria, they never happened. They never happened. The whistleblower came out about that. Did you see it on the press? Were they talking about it anywhere? This is what you, this is how you learn history. This is how you learn from history. When somebody comes with a, a fantastical claim and says, we need to do this because these people are doing that. It's like, well, I already saw, you know, I've seen this movie before. So I start asking questions. And that's what people really just need to do. People need to start asking questions. And, you know, it helps to know where to look too, where you, to see where you can find the facts when you don't think when you're like, this sounds fishy. I don't know about it. Yep. Well, hopefully people like you and I can give that content that someone might look for if they're digging in a little deeper and give someone a resource that is accessible, that is free, that they can access and learn from. So that's definitely the goal. Um, one of the specific historical examples that I am pulling out in this season that I'm introducing season two of my podcast is a comparison between the Reformation and today's anti-establishment movements and direct access to information. And I know you are definitely fluent in the Reformation and in that period of history to some degree. So would you give us some just some insight into how that time period might compare to today and then how we can use that to better understand some of the things that are going on, similarly to how we can, like you said, look at how different wars have started throughout modern history and see those repeat and be able to better see through the subtext and through the propaganda that we're hit with when obviously we'll get into another war. And when that happens, we will be able to see through that because we understand history and have looked at this before. So what, what are some things that relate to the Reformation time period that can help us today as well? Well, the Reformation was just a really a revolt against the establishment then. And the establishment then was the Roman Catholic Church, was the Pope. And they controlled the Bible. They controlled biblical teachings. They were the ones who told you what everything meant. If people are scared, oh, if they read the Bible on their own, you know, they can start interpreting it a way that's different than we do. I mean, they're using it basically for control. I mean, they controlled the masses through that false belief 
that they knew the mysteries of this world, you know, what happens after death and everything. They financed everything through conquest and their own form of taxation, which was indulgences, whereby if you gave enough um, money or or your possessions, your sins would be commuted. Um, it's really no different than what the establishment does today. I mean, it's just a different language. I mean, we have taxation now, you know, and Oliver Wendell Holmes called it the price we pay for living in a you know civilized society, you know, which immediately raises questions like, you know, is dropping bombs on weddings civilized? You know, is the largest prison population on the planet, you know, of which, you know, the overwhelming, well, I don't know if the overwhelming, but I mean, a great amount, and I've read numbers is as large as half, are nonviolent offenders. I mean, it's just... If that's civilization, then I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know if I like civilization. I mean, as a matter of fact, civilization, just that word implies something a lot different than we have right now. I mean, people can talk about criminals and violent offenders all they want as being uncivilized, but there's really nothing more as uncivilized as modern governments and especially the modern you know, United States government. And then you can just go right back to the reformation and see what they were, you know, what they were rebelling against. It was, you know, the, the church would, was sending people off, you know, you had the crusades you had, you know, and you know, people like to make excuses for it today because, you know, of, because they've bought all the propaganda about Islam that every, you know, every Muslim in the world is violent, ready to explode at any moment and everything like that. And not being able to separate that, not being able to separate, you know, just as in Christianity, you have some people who are hardcore Christians and you have most people, you have some people who it's, you know, from someone who went to church, the overwhelming people, amount of people in the pews are just there out of tradition or something to do, or they want their kids to get some kind of morality or something like that. You know, it's very, there's always like a remnant that is, you know, the most serious, you know, and um, when you look at what's happening today and anti-establishment groups, I mean, you, all you have to do is look back to the Reformation and um, you see that they were rebelling against the establishment um, much the same way that you, know, you see groups, although around the world, although many of them are being um, funded and trained by the CIA or the National Endowment for Democracy, um things like that. But, you know, there are people who are trying to change the narrative and, you know, there's two ways you can do it in my, is violence and education. And I have a tendency to believe that any kind of liberty you win with violence, you're going to have to use violence to keep. Hence the United States. I mean, the United States could have, yeah, it was very, <laughs> it could be argued that they could have won their independence without firing a shot diplomacy, all sorts, <laughs> many ways, but they didn't, they, yeah. they resorted to bloodshed and that's the way it's been kept, especially since the constitution. I mean, the articles of confederation made governance a lot easier because it wasn't this one whole thing. It was individual countries, um, in one spot, but, um, yeah, I mean, we see a lot of revolution now around the world. And I know it's giving a lot of people hope, but as soon as it turns violent, I really think that that revolution has to start between the ears and stay between the ears. Etienne, yeah, Etienne de la Boutie said that just 
take your support away from them. Take your mind away from them. They'll tumble like, you know, like a great colossus if you just stop giving them legitimacy. So, yeah, I mean, so when you're comparing the Reformation and today, um, I would hope, you know, the Reformation was a very um, intellectual movement. And I would hope that the the movements today would be intellectual in nature, you know, because you know, <laughs> violence is just they're either going to, they're either just going to slaughter you or you're just going to fall, fall into what they, what they do. You're going to become your enemy. Yeah. Yeah. I actually recently did an episode where I talked about the Reese investigation into the foundations and nonprofit groups that was, I think it was back in the forties or somewhere around there. And they investigated the Carnegie endowment as well as the Rockefellers, Ford foundation, those different groups. And one thing that stood out to me since I have just recently researched that um, is that you said that it's either violence or education. And that was something that they brought up in their meetings. They asked uh, roughly, what is the best way to steer society? Is there any other way besides war? And they determined that war was the best way. And shortly after we got into World War One, and then they asked the question, what is the best way to make sure that society doesn't go back to the way it was before this change that we have initiated? And they decided education. And so they decided to split up duties between these different foundations as far as controlling the education system in America. And uh, yeah, people can research that further if they would like. But I do see that parallel, like you said, where it's either war and education, and these are some of the most influential things on society. And we see that in the Reformation as well. We see that the wars of the Reformation were a pretty big deal. It formed the nation state. But we do see that as soon as it got violent, and as soon as these wars started taking place, they kind of were superseded by political ambitions, and that rose the nobility to the level of statehood, in a sense. And that really wasn't the original goal. The original goal is for the individual to break away from the Catholic Church, very different than creating a nation state and a monarch. So we see also that there's that education aspect in the Reformation, like you mentioned, uh, between the ears. And that happened through the printing press. And you had direct access to the Bible and to writings on the Bible. And that's really what helped well, people. Before we jump into the printing press there, I think I have a little, um, like a little precursor to that. Um, okay. You know, when you look at, I know a lot of militant atheists don't want to hear this, but you know, the Reformation, in my opinion, you wouldn't have had the Enlightenment without the Reformation. Um, the Reformation, and especially the translating of the Bible into the common vernacular, you know, which actually happened 51 years before the 1611 King James Bible, which is probably the most famous Bible in the world. Um, you had the Geneva Bible, which you know, was the Bible was used by Shakespeare. Uh, John Knox, John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, one of the most printed books of all time. Um, and the Geneva was also on the Mayflower. Um, there was an incentive for the common man to learn and read English. So, it, you know, it isn't possible to know exactly what percentage of people 
knew how to read, you know, when Luther nailed those 95 theses to the door of All Saints Church in Wittenberg, you know, and he also did it to other churches in the area. People don't talk about that. Uh, but we do know that the Protestant churches that were formed were instrumental in increasing literacy across Europe. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that with this increase in literacy, we have the, Enlighten the Enlightenment period a few generations on which ushers in the teachings of individual liberty that, you know, is what's important to me and seem to be important to the quote unquote founders of the country. So even, you know, even with their, and you always have to do this, uh, this qualifier that even though they, a lot of them were slave owners, you know, they were talking a good game at least. And we could learn by their words. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say that even with the Enlightenment and the rise of the scientific method and those types of things, if you look at the very popular and influential people in that time period, they were using science and they were using their investigations in order to prove what the Bible said. They usually were believers in the Bible, and oftentimes they were trying to prove scientifically that the Bible was accurate, and they were seeing things through this lens of theology, even in their science. It's kind of interesting that that kind of gave rise years later, hundreds of years later, to more atheistic movements that are completely against the Bible. But I agree with you that the Enlightenment really, it needed that Reformation, it needed that uh, movement of people focusing on the Bible and literacy and teaching themselves and breaking away from the church, just telling them what to believe and what to know. And that's what brought about the Enlightenment and brought us into an age that is more recognizable of what we have today. Yeah, you were, um, I think now's a good time to talk about the printing press and um, really trying to correlate it with the internet. Um, you know, once again, bar you know, barely over a generation after Gutenberg invents the the press, we see the Reformation start. The Catholic Church had you know kept the Bible in Latin, which only the most educated could read, and even then, the Church was the only one qualified to interpret it. Yeah, you know, but with the printing press and the subsequent publishing of the Bible in you know common tongue, the people were encouraged to read it on their own. Uh, Christians may not want to hear this, but uh, I've already said atheists may not want to hear this, but Christians may not want to hear this. But I think you've already alluded to it as well, that um, it's almost certain that the aforementioned Enlightenment thinking was influenced by newly educated people who could not read the Bible and um, judge for themselves whether there was any merit to it and reject it on their own. So once they could read it, and they saw that they could interpret it on their own, they were free to reject it or to accept it. And it seems like a lot of people started to reject it. And a lot turned to deism, where they believe that God existed, but that, you know, he never dipped his, dipped his finger into the pool. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I think that the printing press and high literacy rates also cause people to actually you know, run away from the church. Um, if you fast forward to the internet age, we see a deluge of information that can now be shared in seconds. You know, the difference is that now we have a literate world to start with, you know, for the most part. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that they're discerning. Uh, the truth is that there's a lot of fake news out there to use a, you know, a term that's uh, become pretty common, but 
that can't be policed without a reversion back to pre-Reformation days where one authority gets to tell you what the truth is and what it isn't. Um, that's what we hear now from many politicians on both sides, but probably more from the left. You know, but the benefits of the Internet are huge. You know, a website like Mises.org has volumes of free information on economics, political theory, and history. Um, our website, LibertarianInstitute.org, is run by the preeminent anti-war voice, in my opinion, in the world, um, Scott Horton. You know, it's a free site. There's no paywall. Um, I'm sure that with the amount of information that I put out, um, and the education that I have from my podcast, I could probably charge people to listen to it um, and put it behind a paywall. But the information I put out, I deem just too valuable to not release to the masses. I mean, I don't want, I want everybody to be able to hear it. And, um, you know, I think that's important. But um, at this point, controlling the, inf the flow of information on the web would be like the equivalent of trying to dam Niagara Falls with a garage door. You know, it's just it's just not going to happen. And um, even if they were to find a way to slow down the flow of information and they're doing it, something else is going to pop up that's going to be that'll make it fast again. And, you know, make it there'll probably be even more distribution could be blockchain based, just something decentralized, something out of their hands. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think the printing press. I mean, obviously, the printing press just changed everything. I mean, you study the next couple hundred years and you look at literacy rates and it's just absolutely amazing. Um, and then the Internet now is, you know, I really honestly think that in 20 years time, if we really concentrated on it, you could close public schools and you could um, you could close government schools of any sort. You can close most schools and just have online learning. And that's just and I think that that would be great. And I would, you know, it'd be great if it was a la carte, you know, where you, where you weren't being forced to read the communist manifesto and have the communist manifesto seven times in four years from seven different professors, you know, so, you know, who are just shoving an ideology down your throat. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned literacy. I would agree that the population is much more literate in, I guess, according to the definition of literacy in that they can read and write, but it seems that their literacy in interpreting what they see on the internet and what they're exposed to is very low as far as, like you said, discerning what is true and what is not. And so we see a lot of fake news. We see a lot of clickbait articles. We see a lot of propaganda. And I was actually very surprised to read about the amount of propaganda and clickbait type content that came out when the printing press came out a long time ago. And there were uh, articles that talked about gossip that was local gossip about some certain person locally. And it was usually by somebody that just had beef with them and wanted to, you know, expose them for something that half the time they didn't even do. But it was scandalous and people bought it up, ate it up, read it, and were all about it and probably ruined someone's lives. But 
one example that I wanted to bring up was the witch trials. So with the witch trials that went on, one of the reasons why it gained so much steam is because with the printing press, people got all the information about these witches that were everywhere. And there were even manuals about how to figure out if someone is a witch and if they are, how do you interrogate them? How do you torture them? How do you kill them? How do you discern whether they are or are not telling the truth? How do you make sure you weed out all the witches in your community? And we see a similar thing today with what they call conspiracy theorists, which I would argue probably you and I fit into that camp by some definitions, because we do see that there is conspiracy. There always has been. That's history. And we call that out today as we see it. And some people would call us conspiracy theorists that were just spouting off this fake news and these lies. There are people that have been kicked off of Twitter, kicked off of YouTube and all these social media channels. And it's almost like a witch hunt where they're being called out. And even though more than likely none of the people were actually witches back in that time period, more than likely most of the people getting kicked off now are not spouting off lies. They're actually giving real information. You have whistleblowers and people like that. So can you talk a little more about um, that type of thing and those movements that are going on today where people are being deplatformed and silenced and shut down and what that effect is? Well, (laughs) something about the witch trials a lot of people don't know is they really didn't last very long. I mean, they they didn't last a, a very long period of time. And most of it was just <laughs> was I don't like her. I think she's a witch. You know, I mean, <laughs> from what I've read, you know, it, the, that's what it looks like. Sounds and, about like Twitter. Yeah, you know, and it's <laughs> yeah, and anyone on when you go on Twitter, which is I mean, Twitter's a toilet, but the you have these people who. I mean, can you imagine somebody who like just came down to the planet and you're trying to explain to them politics and everything and you're like, okay, go on Twitter. They would think that like they would think that the, the, everybody had a gun pointed at everyone else. And you know that the, the public did. And you know that's just a great job of propaganda um by the corporate press but just keeping people divided. But um yeah, I mean today nowadays it's like, oh, this person's a Nazi. I mean, that's that's probably one of the most common ones in the last, um, you know, since Trump got inaugurated was you know, there's all these Nazis or white supremacists who are running around. I mean, I don't know the numbers. I'm sure in, you know, I've heard in prisons, there's a lot of people who call themselves Nazis. I don't know what they call themselves once they get out, whether they have to do it for grouping when they're in there for protection or if they're just you know, grouped, like I said. But um, yeah, I mean, it. <laughs> it's especially with deplatforming, you would, the arguments are, my argument for not deplatforming anybody is I want the most vile people to be out in the open. Um, people make the argument, and I think it is the right argument, that if you kick these people all out of public, that they're just going to run to the recesses of the internet and they're going to find each other. And, you know, they may organize. And if they organize, it's not going to be good. They're not organizing for good. They're organizing against an enemy. Um, But it seems that under pressure from very small groups, minority groups, that they're kicking people off who 
just have they're not towing the university press corporate press line and you know we've seen a lot of people get kicked off i mean not only like alex jones or someone like that who is you know the most obvious um you know the the, the firebrand but you know somebody like um you know somebody like daniel mcadams who is the president of the ron paul institute for peace and prosperity who referred to um sean hannity as a retard because Sean Hannity was complaining about the deep state on his show while wearing a CIA pin. Yeah. You know, so Daniel McAdams gets kicked off because he used the word retard, a word that I used every single day growing up. Yeah. If I wasn't throwing it at a friend, I was throwing it at my brothers. Um, you know, so, but, you know, then there are the, the people who have wrong think quote unquote wrong think, you know, who like the Gavin McGinnis, Gavin McGinnis's of the world. I mean, I'm not a fan of his. I think some of the stuff he says is funny. And I think a lot of times he's just gone for shock value, but you know, these people are kicked off, um, platforms because, you know, well, we don't want people thinking, you know, being influenced by them <laughs> and people say still free country, you know, and, yeah, I have um when I was making notes to do this to do this with you uh, what, some of the notes I talked about were how I believe that one of the things that people come after me when I start complaining about Google, Twitter, Facebook, anything like that is well, you know, you're a free market guy, so they, they're a private company, they can do what they want. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and usually that person doesn't even believe in the free market. They're just trying to shut me down. They're trying to because I have principles and they don't. They're going to try and use my principles against me. Well, first of all, I can have an opinion on anything I want. Second of all, I we're talking about conspiracy theories. I am very much of the belief that the government uses these platforms to shut people down. We have proof of it. Facebook has removed accounts on the orders of the American and Israeli government. Glenn Greenwald from The Intercept discovered that and published an article about it in uh, December 2017. So if Facebook, uh, Facebook, is, you know, because, oh, they're openly traded on, on the stock market. So, you know, they're, they're, they're a private company. Well, no, they're not. If they're taking their orders from the government, they're an arm of the government. Uh, same with Twitter. Twitter takes people, and that's always a coordinated attack. Someone's Facebook account will be um, taken down, and then, if not at the same time, but within hours, Twitter will take them down, and they'll lose their YouTube page. So then you go to Google, and you know that Google got money from the government to start, so calling them a private company is ridiculous. And they also work with governments around the world. They're working with the, Chi they work with the Chinese government to create a browser that is like one of the hugest spying apparatuses in the world. What they basically did was in order to shut up people, uh, to shut people up about, well, this, this, this platform shouldn't be able to do that. They're using private quote unquote, private companies as arms of the government. And I think that that's, I, I think as soon as you know that it just takes away all of their protection for being a private company. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting to to watch and see how 
I like your correlation between the the witch trials and what's going on on social media with getting people. You know, I've been I've been suspended. For, I get thirty day suspensions from Facebook all the time, and I had a Twitter account, my original two thousand nine Twitter account nuked, because you know for saying something for commenting to somebody and it would just be taken completely out of context and say, Oh, you're making a threat in there and everything. I'm like, hmm, not really, but you know, if you say so, you're the boss you know, and YouTube won't monetize my channel. They come back with the same excuse every time, which I can prove isn't, you know, what they're accusing me of. I don't do. You know, they say, oh, you're just putting the same thing up there over and over again. And I'm not. I just use it. I hardly even use go to YouTube, but um, my episodes automatically get uploaded to it, to my channel. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, these are, it's just, yeah, I mean, it really is like modern day witch trials. And um, it always seems to be somebody from the left complaining about somebody on the right. And it's it's very rare. I think when... Louis Farrakhan had his account removed from Twitter. That was, it was on the same day that a bunch of other people got removed, but everybody else was right wing. It was just like, okay, we need to sacrifice this guy who's always talking about how, she, you know, how bad the Jews are. Yeah. You know, yeah. So. Well, yeah, and it's similar. I know you have the witch trials as a good example, but you also had the Catholic Church censoring articles and books and things that were coming out largely from people like Luther and uh, some of his associates and those reformers. And so you see that censorship back then, a lot like you're talking about today, where social media accounts are being censored for the views that they're expressing that are anti-establishment. So yes, very similar. Um, and with that, we see that social media is something that is uh, kind of just something that everybody does nowadays. Pretty much everybody has multiple social media accounts. That's how people communicate. That's how people get their news a lot of times. I would definitely not recommend that, but that's the way that society uses this technology that we have today, the internet. They use it mainly for entertainment. People are wanting to be entertained. They want to scroll through Twitter and find some funny little comments and retweet them or scroll through Facebook and pretty much stalk ex high school classmates or they're scrolling through YouTube and watching funny cat videos or whatever the case may be. Even podcasts. We do podcasts and they're fairly educational and informative, but most people will listen to a true crime podcast or a comedy podcast and there's not necessarily anything inherently wrong with that, but it's for entertainment. It's not actually being used to educate yourself and inform yourself. And so that's how common people are using this technology, the internet, just like we saw with the printing press. Most of the people were reading gossip columns and scandals, and some of it was the corruption that was being called out from the church. And some people were drawn to the ideologies and the theology of the reformers. So there were people educating themselves, just like you and I are educating ourselves today. But a large bulk of people were focused on entertainment. And so if we see that most of society is entertaining themselves with technology, the other groups in our society would be institutions like governments and corporations. And not only do they have access to the internet and the technology we have, but they have access to much more. They're, they definitely have much more advanced algorithms and a lot more data and a lot more access. So 
how are corporations and governments using this technology of the internet uh, in relation to us as people in society, us as citizens? We're using it for entertainment. Are they trying to entertain themselves as well? Or are they using it for other things? And what types of things are they using it for? Well, I mean, we, we really need to understand that the government and what, you know, what, what I like to call the corporate press is they are one and the same. I mean, the corporate press is just a mouthpiece for um, the government. I mean, they are the greatest propagandists in the world right now, the media. Um, if the corporate press doesn't make a big deal out of a story, the masses are either not going to think it's important or they, they'll be oblivious to it altogether. Um, just 30 years ago, you, they relied on people coming home at night and watching the six or eleven p.m. evening news to deliver, you know, the cra the crafted narrative. Uh, now people carry a device in their pockets and what you know, which alerts them whenever um, to, directly to the propaganda in real time. Um, yeah. Which is why we have like news cycles now that are 48 hours where you'll have people who are completely losing their mind over something for about 48 hours. And then 72 hours later, it is gone and they're on to the next outrage. Um, you have all this outrage for 48 hours. They move on to the next scandal. I mean, just look at, um, and they do so much to hide the most insidious things they're doing. Uh, if you look at the the most recent impeachment hearings, that's all anyone talked about on the news. And I just ignored the news. I was just, I, you know, I go to, I go to websites who aren't reporting on that and they're reporting on what's actually happening. You know, at the time the impeachment hearings was happening, the Patriot Act was renewed. Yeah. Nobody talked about that. Um, the NDAA passed at that time many other things happen and people just didn't know because that's not what the press was talking about the the press was talking about an impeachment that everyone who is is discerning knew wasn't going to happen i mean in order for an impeachment to happen now say oh okay so they voted to impeach well then they have to pass that impeachment to the senate and the senate has to have a trial they haven't even passed it off yet I, they, so people are so distracted by this and probably one of the great distractions is them not passing it on. Now people are like, well, why aren't they passing it on and everything? So, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it's really interesting to watch the corporations work. You know, and like I said, the press is, they're owned by corporations People don't want to talk about this. That's why you have to call them the corporate press, because corporations, certain corporations are hand in hand with working with government. I mean, that's where the term corporatism comes from. I mean, if you want to talk about the progressive era, you know, all the way back in the early 20th century, I mean, that is was the genesis of this, where corporations just became married to the government. And yeah, ever since then, I mean... People talk about who's the worst president in the history of the United States and everything. And people who are young and people who are more right-leaning will, oh, Obama, Obama was the worst. And people people who are fairly educated will say, oh, Abraham Lincoln, he was absolutely the worst. You know, he destroyed the country. 600,000 Americans died because of that. And then people who really know about the progressive era and World War One 
and the founding of the Federal Reserve unanimously say Woodrow Wilson. No doubt. I mean, Woodrow Wilson was a fiend. And remember, I'm one of these people who thinks that college professors, most college professors are just activists and there's some evil people. He was, he came from academia. I mean, he was, (laughs) he had, he had Colonel House, this guy, he had somebody in the White House who was just basically pulling his strings and it just, everything, everything that you can see and FDR, of course, I mean, you want to look at FDR and I I argue with Dave Smith all the time about this because he says, you know, everything went downhill after World War II. It was World War II. And I I always point to World War I because you wouldn't have a World War II without World War I and the Treaty of Versailles. And, you know, and all of this stuff, even if you look back to then to tie this back in and bring this back home, it was the corporate press. It was the press who was pushing all of this, <laughs> you know, and if the if the press didn't um, go along with it and you can go back to Lincoln for this one, too, they were thrown in jail. They were jailing uh, journalists, you know, Eugene Debs, the, the communist was thrown in jail, had to be pardoned. It was just remarkable. Um, Emma Goldman had thrown in jail because she was telling people in, in New York, going out into the streets, saying to resist the draft, to become a draft dodger. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's remark it's remarkable that you can always, whenever you see propaganda, especially in American history, you can the press is right there with it. I mean, think about world. I mean, um, we talked we already talked about Iraq War II, two thousand three, MSNBC. Was it has always been a left, a far left thing. They fired Phil Donahue because he he spoke out against the war. They fired um, I can't remember who who else they fired. They got rid of Jesse Jesse Ventura was doing um, commentary. They got rid of him. They had never flown an American flag as a backdrop in the studio until they were ramping up that war. Yeah. So it's like you you would think. It, you know, oh, the left, where's the anti-war left and everything? You know, the left, we can count on them to be anti-war and just go back and look at that MSNBC stuff. So it's like when people want to talk about corporations controlling the government and everything, you know, we can talk about that. But the working in concert of the corporations who control the press in this country and the government, I think is probably the most insidious thing. And one of the reasons why... We don't have people, why the left isn't anti-war anymore, because for eight years, Obama's dropping bombs on seven different countries. He's waging war in seven different countries. And most people, unless they know to go to antiwar.com or The Intercept or places like that, they don't know what's happening Yeah, because the press isn't reporting on it. And then they say, oh, Obama was scandal free. Oh, let's, <laughs> let's start with Libya. Yeah, let's start with Libya. Yeah, it's just, it's really, I mean, it's, yeah, so... You know, talking about corporations, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> that's, I always go right to the press because they're controlling what you believe, what adults believe. So I'm going to stop this part of the interview right here and wrap up this episode. And the second half of the interview will be played in the following episode that will release after this one. So thank you, listeners, for joining us and exploring these ideas with us. I hope it's something that sparks your interest as well as gets you thinking about things that maybe you had not thought about or perspectives that you had not looked from before. Or even if you 
very much might disagree with a lot of the opinions that Pete has. Hopefully, at the very least, it gives you a different perspective that can help you to better hone your own opinions and to get a more diverse view of other opinions that are out there in the world. I would like to say thank you for all of you who have left a rating and left a review. There was one I actually saw yesterday that said that I was very disingenuous because even though I named the podcast Our Foundations, I did not talk about the Native Americans. So if that person is actually still listening, which I highly doubt... I apologize. I am sorry that my name does not fit your personal view of what it should be. I am covering the foundations of our modern systems, and that does not really apply much to the Native Americans, although there are plenty of interesting aspects that are slightly relative to the things I discuss, and I could bring up those aspects about Native American cultures, but there's not been room in the podcast for that at this point and it's not very relevant but for anybody else who has left a rating and review thank you very much i do appreciate that and please do so if you have not done so already also look at the show notes for the email address the twitter handle a link to the patreon page and to my website that has both the ability to stream the podcast and also a few extra pages I've added that has a list of other podcasts that I use for my research and that I enjoy, books that I've read related to the content that I cover, and other things like this. You can check it out if that's something that you are interested in. But overall, just thank you very much for listening. Thank you for telling other people about this show and spreading, even if not this particular podcast, at least spreading the ideas and the content and the things that you are learning here, spreading those to other people. That makes a big difference. People need to know about these types of things. So thank you very much for doing that. And with that, I'm out. Peace. This has been another episode of Our Foundations Podcast. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Yeah. Thank you. Goodbye.